Welcome to Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded Podcast. Hosted by Irving Rich. This series has six parts. The Second Coming of Christ. By James Boyd. Part 4. The Church as a Responsible Witness for Christ. If we are to be intelligent in the mind of God concerning the subject of the Lord's Second Coming, it is of importance that we should know something not only of the Church in its heavenly character and privileges as the body and spouse of Christ, but also in its character as the responsible witness for Christ during the time of his rejection from the earth. If we do not apprehend the different ways in which the Church is viewed in the various epistles addressed by those used by the Spirit of God to unfold his mind to his people, we shall find ourselves in great confusion through mixing up things which differ. We require to be able to rightly divide the word of truth, especially in days like the present when the confusion of tongues has reached to an extent hitherto unprecedented, and to which even Babel itself is no parallel. In the previous chapter we have been occupied with the church as the body and the wife of the heavenly Adam. And though it is not necessary to know the truth of the church in this way to be assured of the fact of the rapture, and that that rapture must also be secret from the world. For the letter of Scripture makes that plain enough, as I think I have clearly pointed out. The knowledge of it is necessary in order to see that it is not in any way dependent for entrance into its heavenly position upon the appearing of Christ, for that position it has already. I speak of his appearing as his appearing to the world, when every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and when all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. But this has no reference to things in the heavens, where the church has her place in him. I may be met here with the statement, that then will be the dispensation of the fullness of times, and that then all things in heaven and earth will be gathered under his headship, and that, therefore, the appearing has as much to do with heaven as earth. But this would be a mistake, because in this place, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10, to which reference is made, there is no mention of the appearing at all, though I do not doubt that that dispensation will be introduced by the appearing. Still the appearing is not the subject there nor is it the subject in John chapter 14, where he says he will come and receive his disciples to himself, for there he does not say he will be seen by anyone. His appearing has always reference to his assumption of his rights to the judgment of the world, and to the deliverance of his afflicted people, but not to their removal from this scene. It is the wicked who will be removed in that day, while his people, who have been up to that moment enduring persecution at the hands of the men of this world, will experience deliverance at his hand, and will inherit the kingdom, and eternal life upon earth one shall be taken, and the other left, Matthew chapter 24 refers to this, one taken in judgment, the other left for blessing upon the earth. To be removed from the earth in that day is to be removed in judgment, and this cannot be the portion of the church, for which he gave himself. His appearing is his open manifestation to the world, when he shall be seen by every eye, and when he shall take to himself his great power and shall reign, when he will ask. And he shall get the heathen for his inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for his possession but for his church, which seeks for nothing on the earth, and whose ultimate blessedness does not depend upon his judgment of the world, nor upon the destruction of enemies, nor upon the establishment of his throne on the hill of Zion, nor, indeed, upon the effect of his appearing, one way or another, his manifestation can bring no deliverance. And whether it be but ten minutes or ten years before his appearing, her expectation is to be caught up to meet him in the air, and so to be forever with him. But I come to speak of the church as a responsible witness for Christ upon earth, during the time in which he is gathering out of the world those who are to compose his mystical body. This is the house of God, a habitation of God through the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 22. The body is never called the body of God, nor is the house ever spoken of as the house of Christ. It is the body of Christ, and the house of God. 
The Spirit dwells in each of the members of the body, uniting all together and to their living head in heaven, but in the house, God dwells by his Spirit. As one might dwell in the house he has built for a habitation, or as God dwelt in the temple of old. The house is not a new idea, a house existed in the past dispensation. The instant God has a redeemed people with himself in the wilderness, he says to Moses, let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them, Exodus chapter 24 verse 8. And in the land they had the temple. But such a thing as the body was never heard of until the present dispensation. Paul speaks of it as having been kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, Romans 16.25, and, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. As it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, and, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter 3. It was the great secret of the Creator, and made known to none in the past dispensations, while the probation of man was running its course. It was hid in God, not in the Old Testament, not in the dark sayings of the prophets, not in symbolic language, not in the whole creation. Not in any revelation made to man was there the slightest hint of it. But there was the house of God in the past dispensation, for God dwelt among his redeemed people. And he has a dwelling place today, in which he dwells, and where he is known according to the revelation made of himself in Christ. It is called in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15, the pillar and ground of the truth. It is that which maintains the truth in this world, and it is that upon which the truth is inscribed. The truth is to be set forth in the lives of those who compose the house. It is also the sphere, the only sphere, in which the blessings of Christianity are. They are not to be found today in Judaism, nor anywhere else than in the sphere which professes the name of Christ. It is in Christ that all the promises of God have the, yea and amen. Whatever promises God had made in the past, up till Christ came they were only promises, there was no realization of them by anyone. But now we have them deposited in Christ, in him is the amen, they are established there. But the testimony to this is, Amen, by the believer, that is to say, he adds his, Amen, to the testimony of God concerning his Son, and possesses the promises to the glory of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 19 to 20. The promises, then, are in Christ, but the house of God is the sphere in which these promises are possessed. They are not obtained in the house, but in Christ, and it is to Christ the gospel directs the sinner, but when Christ is submitted to the one who submits to him is introduced into the profession of Christ upon earth by means of water baptism, and there, where God dwells by his Spirit, the blessings of Christianity are ministered to him. And in that healthful atmosphere he is nourished by the good word of God, and grows in the divine nature. Of course, in this I am speaking of what the house of God should be rather than that which it has become. To this sphere of profession responsibility is attached, and account is taken of it by the Lord as to the way in which it represents him down here, upon earth, during his absence. Therefore, we have the statement made very early in its history, that the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 17. When God begins to judge he will begin at the circle nearest to himself, for he is no respecter of person. As it was in the days of Ezekiel, when they had defiled the house of Jehovah with their idolatries, and when the city of Jerusalem was to be smitten. Those who were charged with the execution of the judgment of the Lord were told to begin at his sanctuary, Ezek. 9 to 6, so when God begins to execute judgment upon the world he will begin at his own house. Then it will be without its august tenant, for the true church, the body of Christ will have been removed from this world, and the spirit with it. The false will have been spewed out of the mouth of Christ, Revelation chapter 3 verse 16, and its apostasy and acceptance of the Antichrist will be the consummation of its wickedness. Then the long-merited judgment will fall upon it, mercilessly.
that there is this sphere of profession is a manifest fact, and that as originally set up by God it was composed of real believers scripture leaves us without any doubt on our minds, Acts chapter 2 verses 41 to 42. But gradually the enemy found his way within its precincts, its builders did not always build with good material, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 11 to 17, evil men crept in, Jude chapter 4, grievous wolves made their appearance. And among those set in authority perverse men arose speaking perverted things to draw away the disciples after them, Acts chapter 20 verse 30. We have its history forecast by the Spirit of God in Revelation chapter 2 verse 3, from the moment in which it could be said to be, fallen, until it is utterly rejected by Christ as nauseous to him. Its apostasy is foretold, and its doom in Babylon is vividly brought before us in Revelation chapter 18. As the temple built by Solomon, in which God took up his abode, became in the hands of men corrupted, abandoned by him, and finally destroyed. So in the hands of men has the house in the present dispensation been corrupted, will be suddenly left desolate of his presence, and will fall under his judgment in its apostate state. Now, to the church as God's witness upon the earth the rapture has no application, nor can the rapture have any application to anything, or to anyone, viewed in responsibility. The appearing alone has to do with such. Hence, whether it be the house, the servant in it, or in any other department of service, it is always the appearing that is kept in view. The rapture is not connected with the thought of responsibility. Were it so, it seems to me, some would have to be left behind at his coming again, for as to people's practical ways, not so many are in a fit state to meet him. To the angel of the church of Sardis he threatens to come as a thief, the way in which he comes to the world. And why? Just because thou hast a name that thou livest, and art dead, Revelation chapter 3 verse 1. That which represented the church in the stage described by Sardis was without divine life. Therefore, such must be treated as the world. But in Thyatira the overcomer gets the morning star glory with Christ, before the moment of his appearing. And as to Philadelphia, they are kept out of the hour of trial that is to come upon the whole habitable world, to try them that dwell on the earth, they are with Christ before the day of trial comes. Timothy is viewed by Paul as in the house of God, and the first epistle is to give him to understand the conduct befitting such a holy place, and he is told to keep the commandment without spot, unrebukable. Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 14. Now, does anyone imagine that Paul expected Timothy to be here until the appearing of Jesus Christ? I am sure no one will think he did. But the servant will be here, and the servant to whom the Lord has given a charge during his absence. The servants to whom the talents were given are the same that the Lord deals with at his return, also the servant to whom a charge is given in his household, who is found doing, or not doing. His lords will in the day when he takes up the kingdom. The angel in Revelation chapter 22 verse 9 is John's fellow servant. The blessed Lord when leaving this world called his servants, and gave them their work to do, and all along the line he has his servants at his work, professedly at least, and he will find them when he returns. Answer, whether Christian, Gentile, or Jew, whoever they may be, must do that which has been given them to do, in view of his appearing. But the church, as the body of Christ, he did not leave here when he went away, nor had it any actual existence until the baptism of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Nor will he find it here at his appearing. As the body it is not set here in responsibility, though when we know the truth of this we have a responsibility with relation to it. But someone will say, this seems a little confusing. No doubt to some minds it may. Peter speaks of some things in the writings of Paul, which are hard to be understood, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 16, but do not blame the scriptures, but rather our own dullness of understanding. But why should it appear confusing? Is there not such a place upon earth as that in which the Spirit dwells? Is the house of God not amenable to his judgment?
will it not apostatize from the faith? Surely the scriptures are clear enough on these questions. But will any true Christian apostatize? Surely not. Then there is a sphere of privilege upon earth, in which there are many who are not true believers. Since the church was set up there have been many apostates, but the apostasy is that of the whole profession, and, therefore, before that can come to pass true believers must be gone from earth. Will this lifeless thing not be found here up to the hour of the appearing of the Lord? It will, indeed. What part could it have then in the rapture? None at all. The only thing to speak of to it is that which concerns the appearing. And it is just of this that scripture does speak. Again, may I not ask, had he no servants to whom to give commandments before he left this world? He surely had. Were they of the body of Christ at the time he gave them these commandments? Some say they were, but I prefer to believe Paul, who says they were not. And has he not had servants all the time of his absence? And shall they not be here at his return? And shall not his instructions be useful for his servants in all times? Most certainly they will, even though some of them may have found, and may again find, themselves in circumstances in which neither the reader nor the writer shall ever be found. But it has been asked, of what use would instructions be to men who will not believe in the one who gave them? This we will reserve to another part of our subject. End of part 4 of 6.